Hello and welcome to Bradford Hate Crime Alliance's new podcast, a series of difficult conversations. Today I'm talking with Siosa Tweeddale. Siosa describes herself as a proud woman with a trans history, a feminist, lesbian and trans activist. She's also a member of the TUC National LGBT Plus Committee. She's the Department of Work and Pensions National Ambassador on Trans Issues and the National Co-Chair of the Department of Work and Pensions Pride LGBT Plus Staff Network. Siosa works tirelessly to help employees nationwide to develop trans-inclusive policies and practices, as well as delivering bespoke trans-awareness training. We all need to know more about the trans community, especially now given the dangerous and frankly toxic narrative currently being pursued by some sections of society and certainly by the media. Siosa opens our eyes to the realities faced by the trans community. Uh, This was a very lengthy conversation and we touched on a lot of very important topics so we decided to split this into two halves. So without further ado, here's part one of my conversation with Siosa Tweeddale. Siosa, welcome to the Bradford Hate Crime Alliance podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, We're really grateful for your time and I'm really looking forward to speaking to you. I just wanted to start really by asking you about your current role. You are the National Diversity Ambassador on Trans Issues for the Department of Work and Pensions. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that you do and um, and, and how that manifests itself and how that benefits other people within that organisation? Uh, yeah, within the DWP itself, I do staff training on trans awareness, uh, particularly within the Job Centre Network, okay. uh, to support not just trans but LGBT people. But I also work individually with work coaches who might have trans or non-binary people on their uh, caseload, uh, helping them uh, remove some of the barriers to the workplace because they're quite extreme in yeah. terms of L- uh, trans and non-binary people. Uh, the mo- role is actually much broader than that though. I do work across government departments doing uh, trans awareness training. I've been in a number of different departments, uh, ONS, DBS, Forestry Commission, Department for Education, Ministry of Defence, Home Office, Border Force, all doing uh, similar training and trans awareness training for them. And I work with employers locally, nationally, uh, developing trans inclusion strategies and again doing awareness training for them and helping managers manage transition in the workplace. Fantastic. Really valuable work and and really building awareness across communities and within Mm -hmm. organisations to make sure that the trans community are fully accepted and integrated into into their workplace. Excellent. What was your lived experience like? I think for, for a lot of our listeners... Uh, and certainly one of the aims of this podcast is to really raise awareness of an understanding of different communities that mm. people may not have any first-hand experience of mm. or know people closely from those communities and therefore will maybe not understand the lived experiences that people within the trans community deal with on a daily basis in, in the current climate. What has your lived experience been like and continues to be like? Well, I'm one of the elder trans members. I transitioned years ago uh, when I first realised my trans status. It's especially appropriate given the current arguments that trans people are, are an invention of the 90s and they never existed prior to the 90s. I was born in 1965 and when I was about five years old I was laying star-shaped on the bed praying to God to make me a little girl for months on end which is why I remember it so well. I knew that my sense of who I was was different to how everybody was treating me and that way they were treating me was based purely on my body 
and I knew I needed a different mm. body if I was going to be treated in in the right way. But that was 1970, and we we didn't. I our, my little mining village didn't even understand what LGB was, let no, alone T. Uh, so I had a very traumatic childhood where I was very shy, retiring, buried myself in books. And it was when I went to university that I met uh, what was then termed, and it's still sometimes used in the community, but a femme lesbian, very feminine uh, woman who who was regularly uh, refused entry into gay nightclubs because she was clearly straight because of the way she would dress, which was a prejudice in itself. Mm. And we gravitated together and I disclosed my feelings about myself, but also my confusion in my teenage years, mm. where I had, obviously from a small child, had the, this knowledge that I was a girl. But then when I hit my teenage years, I formed relationships with girls. And that really confused me. You know, the lack of information mm. out there, it just totally confused me. And I guess it was a sign of my own blindness because uh, when uh, I confided this in her, she was the first person I ever told. She just said, she used my old name, but you effing idiot. <laughs> it just means you're a lesbian as well. And that was the eureka moment where yeah. uh, I woke up to, to who I was. But I engaged with the gender identity services, but back that would have been mid-80s to late-80s. Very male-dominated, and for trans women, they had questions that basically stereotyped what it meant to be a woman. Did mm. you like wearing makeup? Do you like Laura Rossi-style dresses? Bizarrely, do you like puppy dogs? What's your favourite colour? And, of course, it had to be pink. And, unfortunately, some of the second-world feminism saw trans women coming out of the gender identity services parodying what it meant to be a woman what they didn't realize is they were conforming to the male psychologist's view of, of what, what a woman should look like exactly mm. um and i guess i've always been a bit of a fighter so i refused to engage with that so well i done. socially transitioned in my mid-20s um by only physically transitioned in my 40s mm. Uh, when I re-engaged with the gender identity services and could uh, transition physically on my own terms. And what changes had you noticed in the interim time between your first engagement with the gender diversity service and then going back and revisiting them in your 40s? Were there improvements and changes? Well, yes, the fact that I, as a rugby union playing gothic trans <laughs> woman, could get the um, uh, surgery, the hormonal treatment that I needed, that yeah. wouldn't have happened in the 80s. There is still a little hangover of that. Uh, a very good friend of mine, not that long ago, I would say five years or so, uh, she rode motorbikes. It was winter. She went to the gender identity clinic in Leeds and she was told by the psychologist that were interviewing her, I hope you're going to go into the, the ladies and change into something more appropriate because she'd been riding a motorbike in winter. She was wearing jeans and a polo jumper. Now, fortunately for her that day, the care pathway nurse that was with the psychologist, a female care pathway nurse, was also wearing jeans and a jumper. So she turned around and said, well, yes, I'll go and do that if you tell the woman next to you to go and do exactly the same. And the psychologist realised that 
she'd nailed him and just continued the interview. But that's an hangover from the attitude where trans women are stereotyped into a very feminine idea of, of what it means to be a woman. An indication of the ignorance that still exists, even among those circles. Yes, and even among some of the psychologists that are administering the healthcare. And that's one of the big problems the trans community has, the healthcare, and how much it's policed and how much uh, our identities are defined by the, the system mm-hmm. rather than rather than by ourselves Uh, and what you find is that post-transition once you've come out of the care pathway if you look at my generation of of trans women in particular they're wearing slacks and jumpers and they're like every other 50 60 70 year old woman (laughs) Um, but still the stereotype persists and in some quarters is encouraged Mm. that trans women stereotype what it means to be a woman um I'm very definitely not a stereotype of of woman that I know. I remember you telling me um, in one of our previous meetings about a doctor who had, because of his own bias against uh, the trans community, had withdrawn medication from somebody who was transitioning. Um, uh, Please explain to our listeners just what kind of ramifications that sort of decision and that kind of power that somebody in, in, in those positions has, essentially, the damage that that can cause to people? The damage can be immense. It depends on what stage the person is at in their, their treatment. We People tend not to realise how much we call them the pesky hormones uh, control about your body it's not just your sex characteristics it's things like your heart your liver your kidneys your main your brain functions and if for example you me who's post-operative if i didn't have my estrogen um after a short while my body would just go into malfunction and ultimately i would die um because you need those hormones to regulate your body's functions for somebody who isn't post-operative that's on those hormones, the, the, the consequence can be no less dramatic uh, that because of the um, effect of the hormones, they will all start reversing and the, the, the benefits you've gained from being on them will stop. And what a lot of people don't realise is trans people don't choose to transition. Exactly. We're one of the most vilified minorities in Britain right now the Council of Europe is even talking about the vitriolic anti-trans agenda in the UK passed a motion in January this year naming the UK as an area where they were concerned about the vitriolic rightly so it's shameful Mm. and 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 so given you're a member of that community you're not going to choose that path it's it's actually who we are and Ultimately, for a lot of trans people, the choice isn't between taking hormones or not. It's between taking your own life and survival. So when you're pulled off those hormones or refused those hormones, not only does it have detrimental effects on your self-concept and your body, mentally Mm. it really damages you. The the trans community has got some of the highest suicide idealisation and actual suicide rates of any community uh, and people don't really understand when they're hurling insults on the street and pay, passing comments and saying things like oh are you really a guy or what sex are you the actual mental trauma that the trans 
person is likely to have gone through just to reach that point where they're transitioning um and it's a truism within the community that that you have to be really really resilient to be trans because of all the abuse that you get and and that's such a sad reflection on our society really um i was going to ask was in terms of the hate Mm. obviously it's this is our job to try and tackle that Mm. what is the true extent of it i mean i think people really don't understand just how incessant those comments are mm-hmm. physical abuse can be um, the, the, the daily impact on people's lives mm-hmm. and again the idea that somebody would actually choose that through 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 actual just oh, I think I'll do this today <laughs> what a good good idea it's just you know back in the day when when people and people today still think that pe- being gay is a choice a lifestyle, lifestyle choice, choice yes <laughs> um, yeah I'm gonna that's my lifestyle choice to be to verbally and physically abused for the rest of my life and not mm-hmm. accepted by large swathes mm-hmm. of society what a marvelous choice that is for me um, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's, it's crazy but I think in terms of because you, as you mentioned that the, the narrative surrounding uh, the trans community at the minute is just so toxic mm. um, what is the reality of that like because I can't comprehend that and you know my own lived experience is, is my experience and it, it, a lot of it has not been pleasant as a gay man but I, I can't comprehend what that could possibly be like is there anything that you can share with people to do? It's, it's, that's the awareness that really needs to be built. And that's why people really need to think twice before they start mudslinging on social media because they're just adding to it. They're just adding to this misconception that the, the, the myths that are building around the trans community that are just completely insubstantiated, um, driven for agenda purposes of, of other people what what is the truth what is the truth of a lived experience of somebody mm-hmm. in that community it's getting increasingly violent it's getting increasingly difficult the the media onslaught for the trans community and i don't use that word lightly mm-hmm. is starting to break through despite public surveys still showing the vast majority of the british public support trans rights and trans uh, id um it's ironic given that the trans women are the main target and that it's uh, women saying they're defending women's spaces that are leading some of the attacks that the group that's largely supportive of trans rights is actually women these women who say we're speaking for women they're actually not Mm. when you look at the the surveys they're speaking for a very small section of women and in actual fact it's men supporting their groups that lower the the average of the surveys women's roughly around 60 percent in most surveys men 40 percent so they average it out at about 52 and 53 percent but it's the majority of women support men don't and when you talk about safe spaces for example this thing about it trans women and men wanting to move into safe space uh, women's safe spaces now firstly that's total misreading of what being trans is mm. we are women that's not just a slogan we've known since better in my case since being a very small child about my gender identity but the irony of this thing that we're trying to force our way into women's spaces trans women have been using women's spaces safely with no problem no attacks in those spaces 
for decades. You're not talking years, mm, you're talking decades. decades. And there is no evidence to say otherwise, no, is there? No, They pick on isolated cases mm. of individuals. But if you think about it, that's the essence of hate. If you take a group, any group, be it a racial minority, a religious minority, whatever the group, and you demonise that group mm. on the actions of one or two individuals that you then profile in the media that is the very definition of hate but that's what's happening routinely to the trans community one or two trans people have committed crimes and we're like any other community we have our angels and we have our demons but the whole community is tarred and feathered and said you're unsafe you should be banned there's no history of that. And in countries where there's self-ID, there's no evidence to suggest there's an increase in attacks on cis women. But when you actually look at the hate crime, the trans community is very, very small. We don't know because stats aren't kept, sadly. But we think from from the community surveys, less than 1% of the population. So when you talk real terms... Clearly, there's billions of cis women worldwide, so the murder rates of cis women are horrendously frightening. But as a proportion of our group, trans women are really sexually assaulted. The TUC did a survey of LGBT people in the workplace, found that 32% of trans women have been sexually assaulted in the workplace. 32. 32, and 21% have been seriously sexually assaulted or raped in the workplace. But we're being denied access to services for, for rape and domestic violence victims because we're seen as a danger. We're actually the victims. We are disproportionately the victims because of, because of our, our, our community size and, and the vilification. And, and if you want an idea of how much it's increased, Ipso... Uh, the independent press organization have just published a survey where they took they revolved it around the year of 2014 they looked at the five years before 2014 and there was an average of 36 trans related articles per month that's about one a day in the five years since 2014 the last month they looked at was may 2019 the average was 176 trans articles a month almost seven a day <laughs> it's interesting this i mean it, the media narrative it's it is becoming increasingly hostile i mean i i watched an episode of um it was just last night actually aids the uh, the unheard tapes on bbc2 fascinating program if anybody hasn't seen that please go on bbc iplaying and give it a watch it's it's incredibly moving uh, heartbreaking stuff, but really important viewing, I think, edu- from an educational and historical point of view. The, the commonplace nature of the despicable headlines, that even including one that said, literally said, burn the gays, in print, on the front page of a national newspaper, and mm-hmm. as someone rightly said, you know, <laughs> under today's legislation, that's a hate crime. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. Just the demonisation of, of an entire group of people and the vilification of them um, I mean, uh, is is that where we're at with the trans community? Are we there yet? It, do, are we kind of on that horrible path towards that? 
Absolutely. And in fact, it's interesting you mentioned those accusations against the gay community in the 70s and 80s. You'd got the legalisation of uh, gay sex in mm -hmm. 1967. And what you found is similar to when the trans community became visible in, in the 90s. There was uh, an increase in people identifying as LGB. Yeah. And then in the 70s and 80s, there was a backlash of the lifestyle choice arguments, the, the gay plague of AIDS, which was nothing to do with the gay community. It, it, it affects the heterosexual mm. community as well. Um, but that led to Section 28 yes. and the banning of teaching well, of uh, gay relationships. Um, which was only repealed in 20, uh, 2003. We forget how recently it was repealed. And those same arguments that were levelled against the LGB community in the 70s and 80s that led to Section 28 are now being recycled to attack the trans community. Yeah. So trans women are saying to be uh, a danger in women's safe, uh, safe spaces like changing rooms and toilets. That was levelled against lesbians mm -hmm. in the 70s and 80s. Um, trans women and the trans community being groomers that was leveled against gay men that gay men shouldn't be allowed to teach because they're a danger to children all those anti-lgb arguments are being recycled to attack t but they're also reflecting back on lgb and the rise of hate crime against lgb people as well um, so yes, so there is that knock-on effect, isn't there? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Look at some of the laws that's been introduced yeah, in America, like with the "Don't Say Gay" laws and the removal of it's not trans books, it's LGBT books, and we're seeing those kind of calls here in the UK. We take LGBT books out of school. This woke agenda. I was talking at a college yesterday and I said, look, if woke is being awake to the social injustices, then I'll accept that label. Uh, happily, I'm woke. Happily. happily take that on. And if you want to say there's a culture war, if that war is between hate and acceptance, I'm siding with acceptance. And I, yes, I'll engage in that 100%. debate. I'll engage in that mm -hmm. those protests. I'll march the streets for women's abortion rights or, or racial equality mm -hmm. or trans and LGBT rights because we're all human beings. We all bleed exactly the same. We all have the same aims. We all have the same goals. Um, and we all have our saints and sinners, like I said earlier. But it's about living together as one. I actually think because of the broader political context and the economic crises that we're, we're, we're moving into right now, this kind of hate is taking on additional dangers where where we, I, we can literally see violence. I mean, I just walking around Bradford, it, yes, I have lots of comments. I can't go out of my front door without at least once insult by a passing car or somebody on the and street. And that's the, the thing. It's that, that people don't understand that it, that's the incessant it's nature constant. of it. Constant, constant and yes. nobody should ever have to put up with even just one incident but when it's literally constantly as soon as you set foot outside of your yeah. door and the only way that you could actually not have that in your life is to not have a life and literally stay inside and not go out that's right and that is the choice that some trans people are making they're literally housebound they're not going out the, the because the behavior has just gotten yeah, so bad and yeah yeah I, I was walking between the as anybody who knows bradford knows mm. there's two main job centers in bradford eastbrook court and westfield house I was walking between the two with a manager from Eastbrook Court and for a meeting at Westfield House and didn't think anything of it. We just walked through the town centre. Well, it's about a mile, tops, I would think. Um, 
But now, the, when I went back to Eastbrook Court uh, a few days later, the staff there were saying that the manager that walked up with me had gone back to Eastbrook Court couldn't believe the level of abuse I'd received, yeah. but it was low-level stuff. It was the looks, it was the giggling, it was the tugging at the arm, it was the under-the-breath comments. And he'd said to them that it was constant. Now, because it is so constant, I hadn't noticed it. I, I've become blind to it because that low-level stuff is just there all the time. Mm. But when somebody's in my face and they stop me and they, like I've said, I've had slate thrown at me, I've had bricks thrown at me, I was stabbed at with a knife once. It luckily it hit my bag that was over my shoulder and pierced the can of pop that was in my bag. Um, that's all on the streets of Bradford and that's just for walking about, doing my own thing, going to the shops, going to work. who you are. It's because of who I am, yeah. And that's always the key to this and that's what people maybe don't appreciate is I mean for example we recently um, published our new hate crime reporting app and there's an article in the uh, Telegraph and Argus about it and underneath the comments one of the first comments was oh another waste of police time they should be focusing on the the more important crimes rather than this low level stuff and people just being offended Mm -hmm. and we need to grow a thicker skin that that's the thing that needs changing. That's the attitude. That, it's the ignorance, really, mm-hmm. of, of people's actual lived experience, and nobody should have to deal with that level of abuse. Even as you say, we're to the point where you become so oblivious to it, and it takes mm-hmm. somebody else to kind of notice it and and just be so shocked by it. If everybody had to live a day in somebody else's shoes and then they experienced it for themselves. I think they probably dance to a different tune. Absolutely. And I think also it, it, it's definitely behoven on me to mention the intersectionality around trans and trans violence against trans people. If you Every year, November 20th, Trans Day of Remembrance, we remember those who've been murdered the previous 12 months. It's a very serious fair. It's a but very we long know, list. Sorry? Shockingly long list. It is a very shockingly long list. But when you look at the actual stats, you break down mm. who is being murdered. Just take last year, for example, 96% of trans murders worldwide were trans women. In the United States, 89% of those murdered were Afro-Caribbean trans women. Half the total murdered that year were Latino trans women from Latin America. In Europe, 53% of those murdered were immigrant trans women. You've got a nasty intersection of race, misogyny, poverty and trans misogyny all impacting on the trans community. Uh, and, and that's why the progress flag, the new, the modern pride flag, has the black, brown and trans colours mm. integral to it in recognition of the special um, barriers and, and hate that those two communities face and where they intersect within the LGBT community because it's not just the T, LGB ethnic minority people as well are disproportionately represented in the figures for violence and murder. So we really need to stand up for each other Uh, and to their credit Black Lives Matters movement does have trans issues on its home page in recognition of that, the disproportionate violence against black trans people. 
Well, next week we will be continuing our conversation with Tioso. But in the meantime, if you have any feedback for us or you do need to get in contact or report a hate crime, please give us a call on 0800 169 1664. That's 0800 169 1664. Or you can email information at bradfordhatecrimealliance.org.uk. Until then, take care and we'll see you soon.